You're listening to audio from Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. For more information, go to cbcsavannah.com. Father in heaven, um, you love children. Jesus loved them. He modeled that. He even rebuked his disciples when they tried to keep them away from kids. So we know your heart for children. They are valuable uh, and, you, and you care uh, deeply. You are the father to the fatherless even. And so right now I pray, even for this next year, as we continue just to teach through the curriculum that we have, which is a great curriculum, that gospel project, it's just great, that, that young ears may not grasp completely, but seeds would be planted so that when 10 years down from now or 20 years down from now, the truth that was implanted uh, would save souls. That these young uh, little guys and girls that are over there now, even one-year-old that are being loved on and cared for, would just, the, the seeds sown now would bear a, fr- a fruitful harvest years from now. For Talavo, as he will lead uh, these 50 or 60 or so high schoolers next week uh, to Atlanta, please just use that. Maybe reach one. Maybe one of them will come to faith this weekend, uh, which would be huge, Lord. Maybe some will just kind of reconnect with other Christians and, and they've been falling away and they've been kind of getting drifting away, that, that it will be a time of refreshment. Whatever it is, Lord, you, you love those high school students. You love those little kids. You love those middle schoolers. And so use your word and your people to build them up. Uh, and Lord, as we kind of check it up a passage today, off the beaten path a little bit, use it to build this church. I'm excited about it. I was excited about it first service. I'm excited about it again. Help me to be clear and simple and, uh, and speak in a way that your people understand uh, and that your, your people are built up. We pray in the name of Jesus for his holy name, we pray. Amen. Thanks. Right, so you guys can have a seat. All right. Getting warm up here already. I take the shirt, the sweater off, but I didn't iron the shirt. Go figure. I'm going to sweat. That's just the way it is. All right. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, those of you who've been here for any amount of time, you know that I am a child of the greatest decade of all time, the 80s, all right? And uh, so I remember when I was 10 years old, my dad got me this thing called ColecoVision. Any fans of ColecoVision? Where are you? There you go. Right there, brother. I see that hand. Amen, right? All right, this was like the uber gaming system of the day, ColecoVision. And so it was just, it was like the best graphics for the day. And so I played that. And then two years later, possibly the greatest invention since Henry Ford's automobile came out, the Nintendo Entertainment System. Eight bits, beautiful. Super Mario Brothers, gorgeous, right? One of the greatest things that ever happened to America besides George Washington, all right? Uh, and so, and the games of that day, for those of you who are younger of the, of the millennial generation, the games of that day were a little different. Like right now, if you, if you get stuck on some level in a game, you could go online. You can watch some, some nerdy YouTube guy that films himself playing games and say, oh, that's how I do that. I got it now. Back then, that's not how it rolled, baby. There was no save button, okay? You, I can remember just my sinning greatly at the game of Castlevania. This game was so hard and you get to the end and you'd have one life left and then you get killed by Dracula. It took you an hour to get to Dracula and you went back to the beginning. Or we'd have these massive tournaments of RBI baseball. Remember RBI? Oh, the greatest game ever. And it'd be the bottom of the ninth inning. It was a tie game and your buddy would hit a home run. And I mean, I would be so mad. I would get up and I'd go for it, do the unthinkable. I hit that reset button. Oh, right. Or if you're getting beat in something and all of a sudden you're just so mad because you can't beat Dracula, boom, you hit that reset button. And I wore that puppy out. The games today don't have reset buttons. It's all like, Siri, turn the thing off. And it turns off for you. I mean, it's a different world. Reset. And it was something refreshing about, it just felt good, man. It's like, push the reset. It's refreshing because you go back to the beginning. And so it's a new start. But at the same time, it's not really a new start because you've been there before. And the goal of hitting that reset was, okay, hopefully now I've learned what I did wrong and this time maybe I'll beat him. So you get through those, you know, you play through those levels again and and hopefully you've learned from the mistakes you made before and you can get further this time. That's the goal of a reset. New Year's, in many ways, is a little bit like a reset, right? 
So we, it's, we start over, and some of you, you know, so like, okay, this is the year. I gained 10 pounds in December so that I can lose them in January. That's the goal, right? So it's time for the new diet, and you've joined 24-hour fitness or whatever it is, or Planet Fitness, and you're like, I'm not going to go, but 10 bucks a month, I can do that, right? Okay, some of you, that's how they survive on y'all. Right? But it's a, it's a fresh start. It's new. But at the same time, it's not that new. You were here last year, Right? And, and there's things that you look back in 2017, you're like, man, that was good. Pew, that was good. Pew, that was good. And there's things you look back in 2017, you're like, that was a train wreck. That wasn't good. And so a reset is a chance for us to celebrate, hey, this was good. This is going well. We're going to keep doing this. But at the same time, all right, we need a, we need a reset on this area right here. We need a course correction. Right? We need to make adjustments. So this, is, this is what we do. This is what, see, last, last week, last Monday night, some of y'all at halftime were going ballistic, right? I know you sinners, right? You, I mean, you were sitting there, Kirby, what, somebody tackled somebody. What is, he's supposed to be defense. Oh, we're going to get killed. And you were mad, and you were cussing in your mind, and you were, you were, you were fixing to, to become a Georgia Tech fan, right? That's, what, that's how far you were going. And then what happened? All of a sudden, halftime ends. They go in. They make some adjustments. They shut down that cocky quarterback. Amen. <laughs> All right. They kept him inside the pocket, wouldn't let him get outside. And what did they do? You know what they did. You haven't slept since. <laughs> some of you went into your 401k to buy tickets for tomorrow. Bad move. <laughs> it's better on TV. Okay. Why? They said, okay, we did this well, we did this bad. Let's do different now. That's a reset. Here's the thing about church. church it's so easy to criticize churches, isn't it? Right? it? It's easy to critique, just like it's easy to sit in your, in your lazy boy with your 5,000 square inch TV with nachos on your lap and your belt's all busting out because you've had too many nachos, and say, can't you just tackle the guy as you're spitting out nachos? <laughs> yes, they can tackle the guy. There's a big difference between you on your high def seeing the whole deal from the sky than the guy that's on the ground trying to get that guy who's running at full speed. And, and with, when we criticize churches and when we're harsh and it's real cool to do it now and fattish to leave and oppose and do all these things, it's just the same way, especially when we're sitting on the side. And that's not the goal of today. The goal is for us sitting on the field with all the challenges as we enter our 11th year as a church, the 10th year was the most difficult by far and my entire 11, 10, almost 11 years here, by far. But see, I'm going to look back and say, okay, here's what we did good, here's what we did bad. And I'm going to learn from what we did bad. Because in the words of Yoda, the greatest teacher of all time besides Jesus, the greatest teacher of failure is. I'm going to learn from failure, and, and that's what we do. That's what they did at halftime. That's what we do in life. That's what, we, what Scripture is going to teach us. And so we're going to look at a passage. And this is the heart of Jesus for his church, y'all. Jesus loves his church. Do you know that? He loves it. He is passionate about CBC and IPC and Compassion Christian and every other church that preaches the gospel. He is passionate about his church. When he comes back, what is he talking about? His bride. He will glorify. He will, he will present in splendor his church. He will finish what he began. So Jesus is passionate about his church, and he wants CBC to be the most effective, fruitful, joyful people to have an impact on the city of Savannah, right? But I think there's some areas, if we're honest, we look back, we need some resets. So we're going to look at a church, a passage. This is not where we're going to be in the next couple of months, but we're going to be here today in, in Revelation chapter 2. So if you have a Bible, and I hope you do, um, whether it's on your phone, iPad, or there's one in front of you, all right, you can grab that one. You can even take it home if you want it. We're on page 1028 in that Bible, the, the pew Bibles or seat Bibles, whatever they call them. In my Bible, we're on 1864. Doesn't help you none. So, Anyway, Revelation chapter 2. And here's the background of where we're going. Um, it's about 90 AD when this, this portion is written. All the apostles are dead. All right? They're all dead. They're all in heaven except for one, the man named John. Right? And they tried to kill John, apparently, several different ways church history teaches us. They even tried to boil him in oil. But for some reason, he wouldn't die. They couldn't kill him. So they figured, if we can't kill the guy, then let's put him on an island somewhere so that we don't have to see him. 
So they put them on an island called Patmos, which was basically Alcatraz for the day. It's a six by 10 mile island off the coast of Turkey. It was a penal colony. And so they put him there where he is to live out the rest of his days, separate from his family, separate from the churches he loved, separate from anybody. And so John there in the mid-90s is having a quiet time, so to speak, uh, on a Sunday morning. And there's no church on the island of Patmos, so he's the only guy. He's kind of worshiping on a Sunday morning. He hears a voice. He turns around. It's Jesus. He falls on his face Scared to death because this is not the carpenter that he, he, he saw on earth for 33 years. This is the glorified, heavenly Jesus that he sees with, with all his glory from heaven. And he, it scares his, the wits out of him. So he's on his face. And Jesus says, don't be afraid. I'm the Lamb of God. I'm the one you know. He says, I want you to write some stuff down for me. Everything I show you, everything I tell you, I want you to write down. And I want you to send it to these seven churches. And so he does, and we have the book of Revelation. Not Revelations, plural, Revelation. It is the revelation of Jesus, and it's written to seven specific churches. Here's where they're located, all right? Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Smyrna, Ephesus, Laodicea, and then the greatest city to ever exist, Philadelphia, all right? All right, so those are the seven churches that he writes to. We are going to specifically look at one today, because I think it's fitting for us as a church, the church at Ephesus. The church at Ephesus. Ephesus in that day was one of the greatest cities in the world, the third largest city in the world of the Roman Empire. So what, I don't know what the third largest city in the world is now. Is it Beijing? Is it Hong Kong? I don't know. But think about big city, Chicago, New York, LA, London, hugely impactful city, hugely immoral city, hugely wealthy city, right? All sorts of temptations and struggles. But 35, 40 years earlier, the Apostle Paul goes there and a church is planted. And they've had some rock star pastors over the last 30 years. They had Paul as their pastor. Then they had a guy named Timothy as their pastor. Then they had a guy named John, this very John, as their pastor. So they've kind of had like the Matt Chandler, John Piper, you know, of the day. You feel bad for the next God guy that gets called up, Bob the plumber or whatever. Hey, Bob, you know, how do you like to follow John? But, but that's where their history has been, all right? And so Jesus is going to speak specifically to this church and tell them some things. He's going to tell them where they need to restart, all right? So let's look at it. To the angel of the church in Ephesus. And, and there's a lot of ink spilled on what angel means there. It's the word angelos. It just means messenger. Some people say it's the pastor, I don't think so because there's elders in the New Testament church, not just one guy. But it, I actually think it's a literal angel. A book of, there's a, this is a book filled with angels 60 plus time. It really doesn't matter though because the message is for the people of the church. And so Jesus says this, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. You say, what does that mean? He told us uh, a few verses earlier, you can look at it later, but in verse 20 of chapter 1, the, the seven stars are the seven angels of the seven churches. The seven golden lampstands are the seven churches. So he says, the one, i.e. me, who holds the seven stars and the one who walks among the seven lampstands. And this is probably a, a kind of a, a knock on the emperor of the day. This emperor of the day was a man named Domitian, and he uh, loved to call himself God. So on his coins, he put it in his face, and he put, called himself God. He put his son on, on the back of a coin, and he called him God. And notice there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven stars around the globe. This is a common coin in its day. This is probably why he's talking about this. He's, where, where Domitian said, I am king, I am God, I am sovereign, I am all-powerful. Jesus is saying, mm, no, I am the one. I am the king. I am the sovereign. I am the one who is present in his church. I walk among the golden lampstands. And because I am present, verse 2, I know your works. Here's what I want you to, just to remember. And if, if you're kind of new and you don't even, you're new to Christianity or whatever, this will be kind of shocking. But here's what the New Testament teaches, y'all. Jesus Christ is here right now. Okay, he's in the room. I mean, you're not physically looking at, oh, there he is, right, you know. He is here. He is present among his churches. And this is what he says to you. I know you. Even y'all up in the balcony that I can't see because I'm too short. I see you. I know your heart. I know what you're thinking. I know why you're here. Your mama drug you. Your roommate invited you. 
I know if you've been lip syncing the whole time already. I know it all. I know your works. Right? And he's going to commend this church, this church in Ephesus, for three things. And these three things, by the way, I think are three things that, that if he was here, he would say to many of y'all. Right? Let me commend you. Look, look what he says. I, I know your works, your toil and your patience and endurance. The idea of toil is you're, you're heavy lifting. You're, you're, you're working hard. You're serving. He praises them because they're a serving church. And you got people serving all over. Man, you got people in the nursery singing to little babies. You got people out putting salt on the ice. These guys in the booth, you don't know that, that they're here for three or four hours on Saturdays and then they get here at seven on Sundays. So I know that. I see that. You who helped your person in the community group move last week, I saw that. You went to the nursing home. You went and visited someone in the hospital. You're doing, I see that. And what Jesus is saying to them and he would say to you is, well done. Awesome. Keep that up. Second thing he praises them for, he says, and that you cannot bear with those who are evil, but you've tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, apostles and are not, and found them to be false. He says, you are doctrinally sound. You are a good doctrinal church. You believe the truth. You're not fooled by error. Not only that, you don't like sin. You reject sin. You're trying to repent of sin. You're trying to get sin, identify it. So you're all good on the truth, and you're all good on getting rid of sin, Right? That's good. You do quiet times. You got your Bible, not just like the, the iPad Bible, but the literal like one that somebody killed a tree to get. Right? Well done. Right? You, that's good. That's good. And the third thing he says is, that, and I know you're enduring patiently, and that you're bearing up for my name's sake. You haven't grown weary. Ephesus is a hard place to be a Christian. SCAD is a hard place to be a Christian. Savannah Arts Academy. It's a hard place. Hunter Army Airfield, right? You're, you're, he's saying, hey, things have been hard. It's not easy to be a high schooler and be a Christian. It's not easy to be the only Christian business in town in this field, and everyone else cheats, and I'm trying to stay above board and still make money. I'm the only Christian in my office, and you're enduring, and they're enduring, and he's saying, awesome, or you had a really hard year because you, you lost mom, or lost job. Or didn't get into the school you wanted. But yet you're still here. And you're showing up. And you're faithful. Right? You haven't quit. That's good. He says, well done. Awesome. Good job. Right? And if you stop there, you'd say, that's a pretty good church, right? If you get on their website, I Google their website and get some Yelp. By the way, just a side note. Don't ever review a church. You can review our church, but some other church, when you go visit them, because it's like you're evaluating Jesus' church. So I had one guy evaluate us one time. It's like, music, you won't like the music. I'm like, really? I love the music. So what are you talking about, Willis? You know what I'm saying? But anyway, so, you know, this is Jesus' church. You want to, you know, encourage people, that's fine. But anyway, that's a side note. It has nothing to do with anything. Back to the, back to the message. Just don't, you know. But I mean, if you were moved to a new town and you're like, okay, I'm Googling churches and I'm looking for churches, man. You come upon a church, you're like, Billy Graham was the pastor of this church, honey, 10 years ago. Isn't that awesome? Matt Chandler, John Piper, man, this is a good, they've had some rock star pastors at this church. Let's look, look at the doctrinal statement. Man, it's solid. They believe what we believe. Man, they got opportunities for our kids. They got community groups and are serving a neighborhood. It's a good church. We ought to try this church. It'll be a good place for us to raise our family, right? If it only just ended at verse 3. But he starts out verse 4. Jesus, no, this is Jesus speaking now. This is not John. This is Jesus. He's done all these things. Great, great, great. But. And you ought to circle that word if you're a circler in your Bible. I am. But. Here's where you need a reset. I have this against you. That you have abandoned. And that's a strong word. It, it, you know, abandoned is the best English word we got. But it just, it's even, it's strong enough it's used of Divorce. You have divorced. You have left the love you have at first. You, you've abandoned the love that you've had at first. In the words of the, the great praise team, the, the Righteous Brothers, you've lost that love and feeling. Whoa, that love and feeling. You've lost that love and feeling. Now it's gone. Gone, gone. Whoa. Right? That's what he's saying. And what a shot in the gut. Right? 
I mean, this is a church. You got everybody in the church is reading through their Bible in a year. Boom. Everybody in the church is serving and in community groups and doing something and giving. Boom. Everyone in the church is enduring and persevering and showing up every Sunday. They got their little attendance pin from the 50s. You Southern Baptists that still have them and wear them hiddenly under your shirt. They got it all. Boom, boom, boom. And they've lost that loving feeling. And the loving feeling, the love he's talking about here is not the love for God. It is the brotherly love. It is the love for one another. It is the love that 35 years earlier when the Apostle Paul is writing his letter to this church, this is what he says. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints. I do not cease to give thanks for you. Paul is in jail when he's writing Ephesians, and he says, I'm in jail, I'm in Rome, and I hear so much about you, this church, in Turkey, hundreds of miles away, about how you're loving, about how much you love the saints. I mean, it's reaching me, and I'm in jail, and this is before email. That is how loving, yet 35 years later, the Lord Jesus himself, who knows their hearts, shows up and says, Yes, you got Bible study. Yes, you got quiet times. Yes, you got service. No, you have no love for each other. Right? And you say, well, is that kind of, you know, they got some other good things. Is that really that big of a deal? Let's look what he says. He says, remember where you've fallen, repent, do the works you did at first. If you don't, if things don't change, I will come. Jesus will come personally and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. You say, what does that mean? That means dunzo. That means church is done. You may have a building and you may have a bulletin and you may have ministries, but my power, my name is no longer in that. So I'm taking my impact away. You can do what you want, but I will no longer be in your midst. That is a big statement from Jesus, isn't it? I mean, it's the same thing if, if Paul was still there, because Paul was their pastor before. If Paul was still around, this is 30 years after he was in heaven, he would say, hey, did you not read that, my letter to the Corinthians? Corinthians chapter 13? If you have the best teaching, the teaching, if you speak in the tongues of angels and you don't have love, you are a noisy, clanging gong. And you got service and you're giving and you're generous. You can give your entire self to be burned at the stake. And if you don't have love, it gains you nothing. That's where they're at. That's where they're at. And they need a reset. And the question I want to ask us, and I, it's a new year, chance to look back, chance to look forward. Do you need a reset? Do I need a reset? Have you lost that loving feeling? I think you got to ask. Because if Jesus was, was visible here, and like, just picture Jesus next to you. Hi. You were singing to me a minute ago. If, what if he looked at you and said, I know your works? What would he say? And I know you, I know you're in the word every day. And I know that you listen to good, you listen to 88.1 every time you get in the car. And I know you don't drink, chew, or go with girls who do. <laughs> but you know what? I mean, you are a gossip and a slanderer. So... You tell me, reading the Bible, you've got your prayer journal, and then you're tearing down your brother. Or you're here every week, serving every week, good job. But you got here early this week because you knew that you even got here early and you knew the, the traffic was going to be bad and the ice was going to be bad, and you were serving in first service and you did, and then you walked down the aisle, and that new person that, that came that didn't know that that was your seat sat in your seat, and you gave him the evil eye as you walked by, because you can't worship two rows up. Yeah, right? Or things are hard, and, 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 you know, the job is tough, or the marriage is tough, or the kids are tough, but you're here, and you're, you're going to grind it out, you're going to be faithful, but you complain about everything, and you're critiquing everyone, and all you talk is negative, negative, negative going through the motions, right? You're missing the point. And, and what, when I was reading, just reading the New Testament, just thinking about the words of Jesus, what is the number one 
identifier of the people of God. I mean, you read the New Testament. It's very clear. It's, it has nothing to do with how you voted. Okay? It has nothing to do with your view on marriage, although that is important. It has nothing to do with you, Starbucks, Bible, and journal. Nothing to do with that. Jesus didn't say, by this all men will know you're my disciple. You have quiet time at Starbucks so everyone can see you. Has nothing to do with a list of do's and don'ts that you've created. Has nothing to do with being the best employee at your office. All those are good things. I'm not saying they're not good things. The one thing Jesus said, he he said it so clearly, a kindergartner could understand it. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. Pretty clear. You need me to translate the Greek for you? It means this. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. What, Jesus? Tell us. What is it? What's the one thing? If you have love for one another. It's very straightforward and very simple. Right? It just is. Where people are more important than programs. And relationships are more important than regulations. And grace trumps grudges. And and care is more important than criticism and critique. And it's so easy to get distracted. Church, it is so easy. In leadership, especially when you're on the field. When you're on the field and you're trying to make tackles, I'm telling you, it's easy to miss a tackle. It's easy to miss a play. It's easy to be distracted. It's easy to go through motions. I was at the Walmart this week getting ready for, you know, snow apocalypse. Uh, you know, I mean, we did get a whole inch. That's at least worth three days off of school. I mean, come on, y'all. Right? So, so I'm getting ready. I'm at Walmart, and my, I got the honeydew. I'm picking up all these things. You know, hot chocolate, marshmallows. And I, and I really, I got about a half a cart full. And, and I'm, you know, I got my list all checked off. And a guy taps me on the shoulder, and he's like out of breath. He's been chasing me around the Walmart. He's like, sir, you have my shopping cart. And for like, like 10 minutes, I had been like putting my stuff, I mean, I was like, oh, wait, it was wood chips, you know, and, and so I had to go, f- I was so distracted with my list that I had stole this sweet old guy and his, and his brother, they were going to just, he's like, I got a new smoker for Christmas and we're going to try it out, he had hickory, he had like one thing in his thing, I, now he's got a, I'm like, oh, sorry, so I had to like unload and I'm like, I was so distracted by my list that I trashed someone else's cart and made this old man almost have a stroke before snowpocalypse. <laughs> we can be so distracted with doing things that are good and miss the point, right? You miss the point. And, and y'all, where this shines the most, let me just tell you, where this shines the most, where the love of, of Jesus for each other shines the most is not when everyone's good. It, it's not. When is your loyalty as a fan? If Georgia... I want Georgia to win, I promise you. But if Georgia loses next Monday night, the true fans will still love Georgia on Tuesday. Right? It's easy for everyone. I'm a Georgia fan. I, didn't, I went to the Citadel. We didn't have a football team. I think we had a flag football team. Right? We did have a football team. We just weren't any good. But it's, it's not when, when everyone jumps on the bandwagon and everything's good that love is shown. It's when things are bad. When is God's love for us best shown? God demonstrates his love for us and that when? While we were sinners. We, when we were his enemies, he made us his children. That's when the love is, is brightest. It's also when it's hardest, but it is when it's brightest. Right? It's when the kid spills the milk and it's annoying and you're about to go to church and now you're going to be late, but you don't flip out because it's just milk. It's when that person is late yet again, and some of y'all are, you know, you think you'd buy a watch, it's 2018, whatever, but hey, you don't flip out. When you go out to eat and get you a nice bowl of chicken soup after church or something, right? And the service is not quite up to snuff. Your, your sweet tea is empty. It's been empty for two minutes. And you're thinking, yeah, I'm going to show her. I'm going to tip 10% instead of 20%. Then she'll know to fill my sweet tea after you saying, rejoice. It's, it's in those moments. It's when your husband or your kids or your spouse. Your, your roommate says the same thing, does the same thing over and over that drives you nuts, and you still love them. It's when that high-maintenance person calls you, and it's just super inconvenient because you're in the middle of a good song on the radio, and you're driving, and you can say, accept or decline. 
I just let it ring. That way they know I didn't, they'll think I didn't see it. If it rings a bunch of times, if I hit decline right away, they'll know I declined it, right? Everyone knows how this works. But if I just let it ring out until it gets a voicemail, they'll think, oh, my phone was in the other room. And then I can tell them, oh, sorry, I missed your call. I was busy. Right? I know how it works, y'all. I play the game. Those are the moments when the person blows up their life because of choices they've made and you've seen it happen and yet you move in instead of saying, well, well they get it. They, they, that's what they deserve. They made these choices. You move in to be a healing agent. That's what we're talking about. And I've, and I've said it before and I, and I really want to double down on this this year. The danger for us as a church is probably not going to come primarily from the outside, y'all. I mean, we got too many strong folks. If I start preaching some crazy heresy, I'll be fired before I get out the door. Right? This is good. The danger is not going to be from false teaching as much uh, as, as the danger going to be from within. The most dangerous enemy always comes from inside. This is what you see in the people of Israel in the book of Exodus, the book of Joshua, the book of Judges, the book of Nehemiah. This is what you see in the early church in Acts chapter 6. It's already starting in the church of Corinth, I love Apollos, I love Peter, I love Paul. And it's that internal division, whether there's bitterness or there's a grudge or there's slander or there's team choosing or preference driven. That's where this place will go down if you let it and if I let it. And it's the opposite of love. Right? It's the opposite of love. And the good news of this passage, even though Jesus identifies the problem, is he wants his church to change. That's the whole point. He wants them to hit the reset. He wants to turn the ship around. He loves his church, and it's not too late. He wants them to be blessed. He wants them to experience his best and have an impact. So he's going to reset. So he gives them an action plan. Three things. We already saw it in verse 5. He says, first and foremost, remember. Remember, therefore, from where you've fallen. That's the, f- the first point of resetting is remember. Do you remember the old days? Your memory is a powerful thing. You realize how powerful it is? Remember the prodigal son? Is, he's in the slop and he's eating pig slop. And what does he do? He remembers that his dad's servants eat more than this. And it drives him home. George Bailey. It's a wonderful life. The whole point of the movie is Clarence the angel trying to get him to remember how good he has it. So he takes away everything he's ever experienced so he can see what his life would mean without him. Remember, George, right? This week, we went, I went out sledding with the kids. We went on the golf course. We weren't supposed to. We got an email the next day. That's all right. It's not going to snow again for 20 years. My kids will be grown by then, right? <laughs> Whatever. Sorry if I hurt anybody's feelings there. But... I would, I, just walking in the snow with my gloves on and my hat and seeing my kids, I'm telling you, it took me back until I was 12. And I remember putting on my jeans and I put my wool socks in and I put, this is what we did in the North, I don't know how you did it. We put bags over our feet and then we put another pair of socks to keep them even, so you could stay out even longer, right? I mean, it, it just, I was thinking about that. And then we came in and had hot chocolate and my wife made homemade donuts because that's what her mom did when they used to go out in the snow. And it was a powerful memory, Right? Jesus says, remember. Go back. Remember how, where you were. You used to, remember Paul said you were loving? And so what I did this week, I just sat down and reflected. And I remembered. And I wrote in my little book here, I, I asked myself a question. You see it right here. I'm not lying. Why did we start CBC. 11 years ago. It was my fir- I actually preached my first sermon down here. They were testing me out for a month in January of 07. I guess I passed the test back then. I don't know. Carolyn, I'm still here, so you didn't fire me yet. <laughs> right? And I just wrote three words down as I kind of reflected on it this week. And I kept adding as I go back. Here's my three words. I just want you to hear my heart for this place. This is, this is back 11 years ago. This is why we came down here, moved down here, started this church. Number one word I put down was real. I was sick of churches where everyone showed up and was fake, pretending that their life was perfect. It made me depressed because my life wasn't. Uh, and it, it just felt fraudulent. So I wanted a place 
that you, could, that you could just be real. That Sunday morning, actually, the way we designed it back in the day was that Sunday morning was just an extension of your normal life. It, it wasn't some, like, different thing. This is the different thing we do for one hour, and then you go out and live real life. That this was just an extension of that. So I spoke in normal English and didn't add TH to the end, and I spoke like a PE teacher, and I used slang, which my wife still gets on me from sometimes, but that's all right. I wanted it to be for real people who could come in messy and broken, and we were glad to have them, right? I, I, I wanted the music to feel like it was written this century, right? Nothing against old songs, but actually the first song we sang today in tenderness, it's actually a hymn written by Adonai and Judson a couple hundred years ago. It's just been spiced up a little bit with some drums. Same words, Right? But, but I wanted it to be, I didn't want it to be some distinct thing. I didn't want it to be, that's this and that's that. I wanted it to be a part of life. I wanted it to be okay if you messed up the slides. First service, Ethan, when he was teaching the new song, he forgot it. It was great. It was so good. It was refreshing. Not because I want to see people mess up. That's real life, y'all. That, that you're going to mess up, I'm still going to love you. I'm going to mess up, I hope you'll still love me. That's, that's. That's what I wanted. I wanted real. Second thing I wanted was simple. Because I was sick of not understanding. I went through three years of seminary where I didn't understand stuff. And so my goal was to get, when you came, you understood what you're getting into. I took away all the fluff. Because I've been in church services where up, down, up, down, down, read, read, uh, you know, all these things. Kind of stripped it all away. Said we're going to sing some songs. We're going to hear from God. And we're going to sing some songs. And we're going to go. Simple. There's only four things we're supposed to do when we gather, by the way, in the scripture. If you're a high church guy, a Presbyterian, a regular fide, right? You're supposed to read scripture, teach scripture, sing, and pray. That's the New Testament. That's what we do when we gather, which is what we do, right? But I wanted it simple. I wanted you to leave. I didn't want to fill your mind with 16 different points and 55 different things. I wanted you to understand. I believe that God wants his people to understand his word. So I wanted to get it down at a level that I can understand it, which if I can understand it, you can understand it. And so that's what I've tried to do. Simple. Right? Simple. And, and that we believe in a big God, that God uses normal people to do extraordinary things. Simple. We pray simple prayers and expect him to, to do something. And we want it to be a place. That, and I know some of you have been here and, and, and you've told me your stories where you, you felt like you had to be at the church every night and every day and everything. and every. So we wanted to strip all that away. We just wanted you to do, if you were a member here, one thing. We wanted you to be a part of one service team, not 16. Right? Just make it as simple as possible because we don't want you at the church building. We want you in your homes and in your neighborhoods and on your teams and in your offices and with people. That's what we wanted. Simple, straightforward. And then the last word, I remembered real, I remembered simple, and I remembered people. We weren't about programs. We weren't about the three B's that everyone talks about in ministry, butts, budgets, and buildings. We are about people. Relationships. Not, and not about getting a bunch of people to act all the same way, that do all the same model of school, that go from all the same place. We actually celebrated diversity. We wanted the guy who was this guy who's a millionaire sitting next to the guy with the pink hair. And then to look at each other and be like, what up, dog? And love that. Not a bunch of the same everything. I don't, never wanted that. And, and where this guy who's been in the church his entire life and should be super mature is going to, deal, is going to be very patient with a 22-year-old guy that's brand new to the church and may have piercings in places that we wouldn't dream of, but that they're going to love each other and they're going to defer to each other because that's what we do, because it's about people. It's about relationships, right? It's, 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 here, here's the big thing, and I'm going to hammer this for the next 52 weeks, and if you don't want to hear it, then you better not show up for the next year. We want to be a people that we don't do church, that we be the church. And there's an eternal difference. Doing church is duty. Being church is a delight. Doing church is a consumer. 
You've showed up. It's like a cruise ship. It's the carnival cruise ship. And you might go to the show over here and you might eat at this buffet. And maybe I show up and maybe I just sleep at my cabin and I do what I want. It's all about me and entertaining me. This is not a cruise ship. It is a battleship. It is a hospital ship where we are on mission and everyone has a point. We are being the church, not doing church. If you want to do church, I promise you, I'll help you find a place where you can just do church. But this is not it. This is not what we want to be. We want to be the church. Being the church means you're going to cry with those who cry. You're going to celebrate with those who celebrate. Next Saturday, I'm going to admit it. I am humble enough to admit it. The Atlanta Falcons will beat the Philadelphia Eagles because we don't have our quarterback. You better weep with me. Because I'm going to weep. If Georgia loses, I'll weep. If they, I yelled last week when they beat that daggum cocky quarterback. I don't even care about the Oklahoma Sooners. I just wanted that quarterback to go play a different sport. So I was cheering outside at night. People thought I was crazy. And I don't even care. You better cry with me next week. That's what the church does. If there's a need, we meet it. You don't ignore it. If, if there's a celebration, we celebrate. We, together we dream, how can I, how can me, college students, how can us three do something on this campus at Savannah State, at SCAD, at now Georgia Southern? How can us, you know, eight individuals over at Gulfstream, how can we have an impact in our department? We're all working on the same wing together. What are we going to do? How are we going to reach this guy? Right? What about my neighborhood? I got, a, I got another believer up the street that goes to our church. My community group in this neighborhood. What are we going to do? How are we going to pray? What are we going to do? It's, it's, it's us dreaming and thinking about how we can reach people together. There, this myth in the church, it's about me and Jesus. Me, Jesus, me, my King James Bible, my Charles Stanley sermons and Jesus. That is not the church. It's not about you and Jesus. It's about us and Jesus. It's us. Love one another, serve one another, encourage one another, rebuke one another, pray for one another. How many times is the one another's? It is not about just you. It is about us. Be the church. Right? It's always been about that from the beginning. Or it was. Right? And that's what we want it to be. That's what we want to continue to be. It's not a box to check. It is a people. Be the church. That's what I wrote. Right? Real, simple people. Actually, I didn't realize when I said all three together that it actually kind of forms a sentence. I just three adjectives, but real, simple people. And that's, that's my dream, to get back to that in a little bit. And like I know the church has grown and we get, there's different structures we have to have, but the heart of the church does not change. It cannot. And if you want to know what a win for me is, I wrote it down too. I'm, I'm like opening my journal for you guys today. This is the only time I'm going to do that right now. But I, I wrote down, what is a win for you, Bill? What, on a, what is a win on a Sunday and a Wednesday look like for Bill Fowler? Let me tell you. It has nothing to do with butts, budgets, and buildings. What I wrote down is this. Here's a win. High school student comes up to me after church. Happens all the time. Hey, Pastor Bill, I just wanted to meet you. My name's whatever. I just wanted to know my parents are coming to church next week for the first time. When? How many of you were brought by your kid, by the way? A bunch of you, right? That's awesome. That's a win. When I have a parent of elementary kid uh, students come up to me and say, Pastor Bill, I just wanted you to know, my fourth grader can sit through the entire service now, loves your Star Wars illustrations. But, but used to be able to not sit through church, we'd, you know, get up to the, go to the bathroom 17 times and blah, blah, blah. They can sit through church. I don't know how much they're getting out of it, but they're sitting through. When? Huge win. When I hear about one of y'all, one of our members, this happens all the time, that, that has an extra car, donates their extra car to a member in our church that doesn't have a car. Happened a few weeks ago to a single mom. When? When I'm meeting with one of our community group leaders last week, just hanging out. And he tells me, yeah, we were full, but... I know that there's a need, so we just said, hey, send as many people to our community group as you want. We're open. We'll get more chairs. Win. Win. Right? When, when a family comes up and says, we were praying for this and God answered. Win. When, when kids' teachers come up to me, or kids, parents that are in our, in our ministry and say, hey, we love, our, we love our, our son's teacher. They pray for us. They sent us a little note last week. Love them. We love our community group. Win, 
When someone comes up, this happens all the time too. I mean, I haven't been to church in years. So I was kind of intimidated by y'all and I kind of came in. But man, people were happy. It was weird. Y'all gave away free coffee? Every time I go to church, I got to pay for coffee. You gave away free coffee and, I, and people were happy and, and somebody gave me their seat. When, when, when some of the neighborhood kids, and this happens all the time, they come over to the office and they're hanging out and they're drinking coffee and just chilling. Well, Pastor Bill, I'm like, what up? And they're just chilling with Tony in the office. Huge win. Huge win. When somebody comes up to me, it's been here for about a month, and it's like, you never took an, you haven't taken an offering in a month. You guys, how do you survive? Huge win. Because they have no clue. And that means they know that we don't care about their money. Do we have a way to do that? Yes. You can ask me afterwards if you really want to know. But those are, that, all those are relational things. That's wins. Right? That, look, and I'm not saying we've missed that. So, and I'm not saying all of us are there. But I think that some of us, if we're honest, we could use a reset. And remember, go back to those things. And, and the beauty about this is it doesn't take super Christians. It doesn't take seminary degrees. It's just normal dudes and dudettes, right, empowered by God. Actually, I would argue that, when I mean, remember, we started this church, we were a bunch of rookies, and we only got 11 years in now, so we're not like experts. But I would argue that the problem with the church of Ephesus is they were too expert. They knew too much. They had 35 years of their experience, and Jesus says, I'm about to take your church away. God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so we remember, second thing we do, he tells us, he said, repent. Real simple. And all repent means is turn around. It's a change of mind. So if you've been, you know, gossiping, slandering, whatever, what do you do? You call it what it is, sin, and you make it right. That's repentance. If you've been arrogant and prideful, or, or mistaking busyness for fruitfulness, what do you do? You turn around. God, you're right. I need to go this way. Whatever it is, it's just call it what it is. It's okay. Jesus expects us to fail. That's why he comes and he says, hey, let's get back on it. But don't, don't hide it away. And just, oh, yeah. Call it what it is, sin, and turn around. That's called repentance. Right? Repentance. If, if, if this person has done this much and you, maybe you're 10% wrong and they're 90% wrong, then own your 10%. Right? That is called Marriage. One of you is always 10%, one of you is 90. You can figure that out. I won't tell you. And either way, I'll tell your wife that she's more right than you, even if you ask. But that's the point. You own your deal. So you remember, you repent. And then what does he say? He says, do what you did at first. And that's your reset. <laughs> Just do what you used to do. When you guys loved each other, do that. Whatever it is in your life. When you look back and you're like, I was closest to God, fill in the blank. When I was in college, serving with FCA, or when I was at my last church, or maybe it's right now. But whatever it is that you were doing then, go do it now. So if you had a bunch of boys you used to meet with on Tuesday mornings for coffee, and you would study scripture and pray and do all that thing and be accountable together, but you haven't met in 18 months just because life got busy, then go back and do that again. You better call them boys this afternoon and be like, what's going on Tuesday? Maybe not this Tuesday, we'll be up late for the game, but maybe next Tuesday. Right? Do that. If you used to walk in the mornings and kind of go get your exercise and just talk to God during that time, but you kind of, you know, it's got cold and whatever, go back and do that. Put yourself on a North Face jacket and get out there and walk. Right? Maybe you used to wake up in the morning, drink a cup of coffee, pray for your kids, pray over your kids, ask God to use you that day. You hadn't done that in a while. Go back to that. Maybe you were the guy that used to have everybody at your house. Man, we used to have all the high school kids at our house. We used to have all the junior high kids. We used to have all the young life kids. We used to do all that. We ain't done that in like five years. Well, why don't you go back and do it again? Invite them all. Bring them in. Right? Whatever. I don't know what it is. You know, you, you know. But do it. Remember, repent, reset. That's what we're doing. It's not complex. It's super simple. Right? And I don't know what it looks like for you. I know what it looks like for me. And look, Jesus is always steering his church. And there is no perfect church. But this is where I'm going. And you need to know it. Because I preach 42 times a year. So you, you're going to hear a lot of it. But this is where I want to be. Right? Real simple people. And we're going to head that way. Do you need a reset? 
You want to know if you do? Ask yourself this question as we close. If everyone in this church was just like you, they were as kind as you, as patient as you, as loving as you, as inviting as you, they prayed like you, they believed like you, a bunch of yous running around. Be like me, a bunch of Oompa Loompas running around, right? If a bunch of yous are running around, what is this church's reputation? I mean, everyone says, hey, man, that church over there is filled with you. What does that look like? Are you like, man, I wouldn't go to that church? <laughs> then maybe it's time for a reset. Remember, repent, reset. This is our message, y'all. This is what Jesus says. He who has an ear, let him hear. That's Jesus' way of saying, this is not just for Ephesus, this is for everybody. For us, 2,000 years later, CBC, Savannah, 11 years in, can you hear it? Because if you can, he says, to the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life. This is the tree that Adam and Eve got to eat back in the garden before they fell. It's in heaven. It's in paradise. What he's saying is, look, your future is paradise. That's what my love has given you. Now it's our job to live that love out, to make this as close in a sinful world as paradise is. It's on you. It's on me. That's his calling. Right? Y'all, we're not going to do church anymore. We're going to be the church. Be the church. Be the church. Right? A bad reference, but that's the idea. Be God's people. That's the reset. Let me pray. We'll sing, and then we'll go be the church. You guys can stand. Father, I pray for us as a body. You have been gracious with us. You have borne much fruit, and we ask that you would continue to do so. I pray for these people that you have brought today. Some of them, Christians for a long time, maybe a little cold in some areas, that you want to refresh. Maybe some that don't know Christ at all, but you uh, have brought them to hear uh, about uh, what you have done, how you have sent your son, how you have uh, put him up as an offering, as a sacrifice for our sin because you loved us. Father, you're moving, you're doing things, your spirit is always at work, and so we want to be part of it. And so, Lord, we don't want to be arrogant and think we know what we're doing. We want to be humble because you're opposed to the proud. You give grace to the humble. So just help us to respond. Help us today to look back. This is Keep doing the things that are good. Keep loving you and serving uh, others. That's your good things. Keep giving. Keep uh, studying and learning about you from your word. But not neglecting that which you say is important. The marker of a believer that he loves one another. And so help us to do that. We can't do it apart from you. We want you to do it through us. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.